Welcome to the Westside Gathering Podcast, and thanks for making the time to learn and grow with us. Here, you'll find teaching from our live Sunday gatherings. After the message, we'll say a little more about our church and how you can connect. But for now, let's jump right in. Six or seven years ago, we ended up um, renovating our deck, and we, my wife and I and our kids love spending time outside. Like, if we could like, live outside from May, to, from May to September, we would. Uh, we love to eat there, hang out there, welcome friends there, uh, spend some time there, whatever we can. And so we had moved into this home, and this deck that we inherited was like a decent size, but you know like when you know something is on the ends of its rope, right? And so uh, we kind of like lived with it for six or seven years years and then said, you know what, we're going to design a new deck. And so we had this beautiful dream, like a little bit bigger, a little bit more convenient, a little bit more accessible for what we wanted to do. We had this carpenter come in to give us an estimate and we were showing him what we wanted done. And he's like, yeah, I can do that. I can do that. And so I said, hey, check out the, like the, the posts underneath and how it's connected to the wall. Like if there's any way we can save money, you know, reuse, repurpose, recycle, that'd be awesome. So he takes a look underneath. He comes out from underneath the deck. He's like, nope, it's got to all go. I'm like, what do you mean? Like, we can't save a post? Like, one piece of cement? Like, nothing? He's like, it's just all, it's all condemned. Like, everything has to go. They're rotting away. And he's like, it's not stable enough, and it's rotting too much. And it will not hold the weight of what you want to do on this deck. So the foundation was condemned. And he said that word, and it just, it, 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 it's kind of like a real, like, it's a downer of a word. It's like, oh, no, this can't be used. Have you ever used that word condemned in a sentence or felt that way? Condemnation can mean a few things. It could mean something no longer has purpose, like the foundation of my deck. It could mean something is so damaged that it can't be used anymore. Sometimes it's systems or cultures that can condemn people, make them feel like they're damaged, make them feel like they have no value, make them feel like they can't fulfill their purpose. And we've, uh, so, in such unfortunate ways in our world, have sometimes seen a race that feels uh, condemnation or a certain status or gender or handicap. And we can see the, how that word condemnation can be used in our world. Paul, as he starts this first, this chapter, chapter 8, and in the words that Priscilla read from Eugene Peterson, says, those who enter into Christ's being here for us no longer have to live under a continuous low-lying black cloud. That's the, the language Eugene Peterson uses to describe condemnation. If you got a more uh, traditional translation, one we're going to read from as well, uh, Paul says, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's how he starts this section off. There's now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And Paul, Paul starts off one of the most important chapters in the New Testament with this incredible, audacious declaration and something every human heart needs to hear. You are no longer condemned. He doesn't just say it. He doesn't just talk about it like a philosophical idea. He doesn't just make it a promise. He doesn't just say, you know, we don't, we don't, don't judge anybody. Everybody's fine. It doesn't matter. That's not what he's getting at. He's, he's getting at something that's even deeper. He's letting us know, and, and I wrote this on the screen so we can get this, the absence of condemnation is tied to the presence and I'll add, and the work of Jesus. 
The absence of condemnation for what Paul is getting at is tied to the presence and work of Jesus in one's life. And this is incredibly good news. We should all like, woo, yes, this is really good news. This is when, when the scriptures in the New Testament talk about the good news of the gospel of God's kingdom, Paul is making reference to this. It's what we call gospel. That there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus or tied to the presence and work of Jesus in one's life. But why is Paul addressing condemnation? Like, is this some modern view in the 21st century to just say, like, it doesn't matter what we do in life? Is that what he's trying to say? Or is there something more to it? And he's addressing it out of, out of a deep experience in his own life. And he uses the word therefore. Peterson doesn't, but your normal translation would. Therefore, there is no more, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, just a little hint. When you're reading the Bible, any, any part of the New Testament, and there's a therefore, it's always there for a reason. Did you catch that? I know, such a weird you know, play on words. But therefore is therefore a reason. And here's the reason. You never read what comes after the therefore without understanding what comes before the therefore, right? That's what therefores are there for. This is getting really strange. But, but you, you get what's happening. And this is what Paul uh, means to do when he, he inserts that word because he writes seven whole chapters. Or in our modern version, there are seven whole chapters. But he writes, you know, almost half the book of Romans to, or, or letter of Romans to this church and then puts this word in there. Therefore, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So we can't really go further until we go backwards. And of course, we're in a series on Romans 8, not all of Romans. So we will not go through all of Romans 1 to 7 this morning. But Paul describes, in just at least in the previous chapter, chapter 7, why he feels stuck, why he feels condemned, why he feels dead. Here are some, some phrases from chapter 7. Verse 18, he says, nothing good dwells within me. That's what Paul feels. Paul says in verse 19, I can, I can will what is right, but I can't do it. Do, you, you, do we know what that feels like? Anybody knows what it feels like? like? You can will, you can desire something right, something good, something healthy, but you can't do it. There's something at work there. And he explains what in verse 23. He says, there is a law at war with the law of my mind. He's already giving us an allusion to what I, I'm going to explain later. There's like a rule or power at work with what my mind wants to do, making me captive to the law of sin. This is what Paul is describing. This is the struggle he's facing. He's, he's describing the human struggle with what the Bible calls sin. The, the struggle of the human race. Now here's Paul. He's Jewish. He's followed Israel's law. He has the Ten Commandments. He's grown up in, in understanding what things are righteous or good or just. So he wasn't immune to, to, to the way of life that God instructed these people. And yet he struggles. Verse chapters 6 and 7, he walks through the seriousness of sin, the struggle of sin, the effects of sin. And, and he recognizes in his own self, he recognizes this war that's, in, that's working in him that he feels is going to destroy him, that has already brought damage to him. And no matter how much he tries and no matter how, good, how much good he intends to do, this, this thing he calls sin keeps propping up, keeps tripping him up, keeps, keeps opposing him, keeps working against him. So much so that in verse 24... 
he, he describes his state and the human state in this way. He says, wretched, what a man I am. What a wretched man that I am. In other words, Paul's like saying, I'm done. I'm done. There's nothing else that I can do. I'm finished. I'm wretched. I can't do anything else. And in fact, he asks this question at the end of chapter 7. He says, who will rescue me from this body of death? That's what he feels like. Who will rescue me from this body of death? He's not bashing the human body, but he's saying, he's describing the failure in his own efforts to live the kind of life that, that God is calling him to live. And he's like, who can rescue me? And he ends chapter 7 saying, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. I can be rescued. Then he makes a turn, and we start Romans chapter 8. And this whole chapter in Romans chapter 8 begins to describe what frees Paul and, and all of us from condemnation and what leads to this brand new life, this brand new reality, this, this brand new creation. Peterson described it in the message. He says, with the arrival of Jesus, the Messiah, that fateful dilemma is resolved. That fateful dilemma is what Paul just described. And he says that fateful dilemma is resolved. In other words, that condemnation that comes through that sense of wretchedness or feeling like I'm done, it's over, this war in me is just damaging me, that condemnation is wiped out when someone finds themselves in Christ Jesus. They're like, well, how does that happen? Why, why does that happen? Well, we're going to take nine weeks to unpack it because Romans 8 is a rich and deep portion of Scripture that we can't just skim over. So we're going to take all summer, July and August, to slowly, like I call it the slow drip type of immersion into this text. Kind of like if you were with us last summer, we walked through Psalm 23 in a slow way. But, but we'll start off, okay? So, so, so Paul, he says... You know, he already starts off, right? There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And then he starts to describe why. Like, why is that the case? And in, in the version I'm reading, the NRSV, he uses the word for at least four or five times. And he begins to describe. Maybe in your version, it's the word because. So the first four in verse two, he says for, this is a reason why, we, why there's no condemnation in Christ. He says for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. Now Paul is doing a word, a word play here with the word law. He means two things the different times he uses it. He can mean the word law like, like the Jewish law, like the Torah, like, like law, like a way of life. Like, hey, here's the law. Uh, let's learn how to live with this law because it's good for us. Or is using the word law like, like a power, like a, like a ruling over. You know, so we in our society might follow laws in how we live, but if you jump off a, off a, off a building, the law of what? Gravity is, it's just, it's like it's a power over you. You can't, it's just there. So there's the law of gravity, that's a power, or how things work. And then there's the law of like things in how we follow. And that's what Paul, the wordplay Paul is using here. For him, the Torah, the Jewish law, is a way of life. It's a law he followed. But then he describes the law of the spirit, or the law of sin and death, which is like a power that rules over us. 
Now, Paul was a good Jew, and he followed the Jewish law. It was his way of life. And that law that, that God instructed Israel with had every intention to give him the life that he wanted, to give him the life that he hoped for, to give him the life that, that, that God was leading them towards. And, and if you read the Old Testament and look at some of the laws, there's laws of justice, there's laws of charity, there's laws of, of equity, there's laws of how, how, we spe- how, how we treat one another, there's laws of how we treat foreigners and those who come into our properties. There's all kinds of ways of, of giving us the kind of life that, that in God's eyes is good. When God says, don't kill, don't murder, don't steal, don't covet. It's a way for us to live in goodness with each other. That law had every intention to give him the life he hoped for. But Israel found out the hard way. Paul found out the hard way. Paul discovered for himself that sin, this other power, not just a way of life, weakened this way of life, weakened the effect of it that people try to live. Because sin is this kind of power, presence, that weakens the kind of life God intends for us because when we're just trying to follow this way or this way or this way, and it exposes the idea that if we just follow good rules, we'll be able to make it. We'll be able to experience the best kind of life possible. Paul says, no, there's, a, there's another way that he's discovered. There's something else that he's discovered Now, he found out the hard way that sin is a strong power that keeps him from living the life God created him for. And he he needed another power to break that cycle. So just kind of like my wife and I had this amazing design for our deck, this like great way that we were going to enjoy our deck and stand on our deck and sit on our deck and play games on our deck and, and, uh, and have people on our deck. But the foundation of the deck would never have held the deck. It would have just crumbled under it. And so we needed a new foundation to hold a new deck. The old foundation would not have sustained the vision for life on our deck that we wanted. And you and I, human beings, need a new foundation to hold up the kind of life that God desires for us. The life God envisions for you and me is impossible with an old foundation that is ruled and overpowered by sin. And so Paul says, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death, from the rule or the power of sin. And it's only the law of the spirit. It's only the rule of God's spirit in our lives that can set us free from that. So when Paul says the word in Christ that he uses so many times in his letters, he's speaking about this this beautiful truth that when people come to know Christ and follow Christ and put their trust in Christ, they become transformed people of the flesh into people of the spirit, God's spirit, and then they can experience what the New Testament calls eternal life. And I don't just mean a life in the future. I mean eternal life, like now. The life of God's kingdom, filled with God's presence, leading us and guiding us and empowering us for the goodness of God's kingdom. And, and here's, another, here's another how, here's another reason. We're just hitting two today. And here's another word, the word for, or maybe because in your Bible, verse three. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And to deal with sin 
he condemned sin in the flesh so that the just requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk accord, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So here Paul is trying to say, here's another reason why there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus, because God did something. He first, he tells us there's another power at work that God brings that can break the power of sin and death that influences how we live our lives and what condemns us. But then he says, here is the initial deal, deal breaker in this. God sent his own son in the likeness of human flesh. And Paul's already said in chapter seven, like, man, like in my own body, in my own human nature, in my own natural way of doing things, there's always this war I feel inside me, inside my heart, inside my mind. It's at war with me and it's at war with this life that God envisions for me. But he says, God did something to break that. He sent his own son in the likeness of human flesh. So the same body, the same, uh, you know, broken world that we live in, where we fight with that power, he sent Jesus into that world, into that same body. Jesus took on human flesh. It's one of the most beautiful, uh, beautiful truths of the New Testament, that though Jesus was equal with God, he didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he took on the form of, a human, of human flesh. That the Gospel of John starts that, that, that Jesus, that, that the Logos, that, that God's very word came into our world, was incarnated into our world. The word became flesh. And here Paul says, this is why. Because God sent Jesus to actually be present with us and, and, and be in our world and actually be in a human body to deal with the sin that plagues the human experience. And he did that, he did that so sin can be dealt with. Or maybe, like some of your versions say, he became a sin offering to deal with sin. That same body that struggles with sin and death, that same body that Paul kept, that Paul said kept failing him to over, overcome sin, Jesus enters that very place where sin is alive, where sin is active, where sin is ruling, where sin is causing damage, and he does that to actually deal head on with sin. That's what God does. That's what God did for you and me. That's, that's part of the answer to Paul's why is there no condemnation. One of the images I, I see in modern kind of entertainment these days was this. is one of my favorite movies when I was growing up. And uh, it's the movie The Matrix. I, I still think it's new, but I realize it's like 20 years old, I think, this movie, right? Uh, but it's still a classic. Now, now th so, so this whole movie The Matrix is, uh, I don't know how if, you know, version two or three or the sequels are, are great, but the first one was awesome. But, but the whole story is this idea where, where we understand through, through the storyline that, that humanity is connected to this matrix. And this matrix kind of controls and rules. And within the matrix, there's people, humans, that have caught wind to the plan and caught wind to the, to the powers that control people. And there's even prophets within the matrix that believe that one day someone will come to break that hold. Someone will come to break that power. And they called him the one, or his name would be Neo, N-E-O. But if you use those letters around, it means the one. And so they believed that this person would come, and his name was Neo, and he would come and enter the matrix and do something different he's kind of like a messiah figure now don't quote me i'm not saying the matrix is a christian movie because there's like you know buddhist ideas in there and new age ideas there's a whole bunch of ideas in there it's a layered bag of stuff 
But there is like the storyline of a Messiah in The Matrix. And Neo kind of plays that figure. And Neo is, he, there's this scene where, where he's in The Matrix because now he has entered, he has entered that, that, that system that's broken and flawed. And he enters it to do something in it. And then there's this moment where he, he meets, he interacts, he confronts this like, kind of like the personification of all that's bad in the matrix. His name is Mr. Smith, and they're fighting together. And, and Neil confronts Mr. Smith. In fact, there's a strange moment where Neil actually like, enters Mr. Smith in the matrix and just like, blows everything up. And it just, it's, it's incredible because he, in this moment, destroys the ruling power of what controls everybody and what condemns everybody and what damages everybody. And notice verse 3 and 4 where Paul says, after he says, God sent his son in the flesh, he says, he condemned sin in the flesh. He didn't do it from outside the flesh. He condemned sin in the flesh. Jesus came in the flesh so that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled. And don't get caught up just like when you read words like the righteous requirement of the law, people think like, that sounds overly religious. That sounds overly systematic. That's not, no, you know what that is? That is the righteous requirement of the law is, think of it this way, the vision God had for humanity to live in flourishing, good, holistic ways that describes the shalom of God's vision for the world. The righteous requirement of the law is God's vision for you and me. And the fact when Jesus condemned sin in the flesh, he did that so that that vision, that righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us because we can't do it on our own. Paul says it himself, he's like, oh, I, th I think of it in my mind to will it, but I can't do it. There's a law at work against what I'm thinking, what I'm desiring. But then he says, there's no longer any condemnation because God sent his son in the flesh to deal with sin in the flesh so that this vision might take place, so that, there we could, that God would break this cycle so humans can grow into who God calls them to be and find this life now and into eternity. And this is the beautiful start of this whole passage. The only, way to to, the only way to free us to live the life God envisions for us was for Jesus to destroy the very power continually stopping that life, which is sin. Now, don't mix this up with cultures like self-actualization or culture's way of saying, like, I just want to be anything I want to be. I want to do anything I want to do, regardless of anybody else. It's not that God, you know, God says, here, I'm going to give you this power to do anything you want. No, he's not, that's, not, that's not the purpose. God says, I, want to, I sent Jesus to break the power that even inhibits you from seeing the life God has in store for you. Not just the life you want, the life God longs for you. Because most of us are blind to the goodness of the life God longs for us. Because as Paul described, we're skewed. We're, we're, we're always at war inside of us. And so here, here's the beautiful thing that happens. And I kind of describe it in two ways. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus is this double blow to the power of sin. Because first, in Christ God eradicates the long-term power and effect of sin. And I say long-term because I woke up this morning still messing up. 
uh, if, even if you've been following Christ for a few years and God has been shaping your heart, I can guarantee you that you did not live a perfect life yesterday. Is that true? Like, did anybody live, like, perfectly yesterday? Did anybody? Come on, somebody. Like, even a two-year-old? Like, nothing? Nobody. Anyways, so now here's the thing. Christ, or in Christ, God eradicates the long-term power of sin. It no longer holds us forever. And it breaks the long-term effect. And, and then he sends his spirit. And life in his spirit empowers us to live the life God calls us to. In the cross, Jesus eradicates the long-term power of sin. Through the spirit, God empowers us to live this new life. And that's the new life, the new reality, the power of God's spirit at work in those who are in Christ Jesus. It's just, just what blows my mind in these first few verses is this beautiful kind of like two phrases that come to mind. We, are, we, we, are in, we can be in Christ and then God's spirit can be in us. Those two things are happening. When we come to follow Jesus, when we come to trust Jesus, when we come to, to align our lives into the life of Christ under his lordship, we are in Christ. And simultaneously as we are in Christ, God's spirit is in us. We're in Christ, God's spirit is in us. And that's when we discover this brand new life, when we put our trust and life in Jesus. The life of the Spirit then gives us life. And Paul says with confidence, that's part of the reason, because we'll, we'll continue over the next few weeks, part of the reason why he can say there's no, more con- there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I like how Dallas Willard describes it. He says, when we enter the life of friendship with Jesus who is now at work in our universe, we stand in a new reality where condemnation is simply, can you guys say the word? Say it out loud. Now, a little bit louder. It's simply irrelevant. I love that. We stand in a new reality where condemnation is simply irrelevant. Not because of some philosophical idea, not because of a social construct, not because of any of those things. The absence of condemnation is tied to the presence and work of Jesus Christ. We stand in a new reality where condemnation is simply irrelevant. There's so much more to learn. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up because we want to move into a time of worship and communion this morning. There's so much more in Romans 8. There's so much more that we're going to learn. And, and, and I'm going to invite you this summer for the next nine weeks. You're thinking like, really, you, you only want, like Dave, you're only asking me to like, to like, like that's a low expectation. Like just, just read one chapter all summer. Now, I'm not telling you not to read the other parts of scripture that you're reading. You can, but if you're reading nothing, just read Romans 8. That's a great step. But even if you are reading other things, I want you to make room somehow to immerse yourselves in this chapter of scripture. That, that we would engage the summer practice of immersing ourselves, becoming familiar with, possibly memorizing parts of Romans 8. Wouldn't it be amazing if, if moments of your morning, of your day, you, the Holy Spirit can remind you that the law of the Spirit and life in Christ Jesus sets you free from the law of sin and death? Wouldn't it be incredible if those, if those words can just come off your tongue, rooted in your heart, transforming your mind, that the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus sets you free from the law of sin and death. Or the words, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
or this reminder that God sent his son in the flesh to deal with sin. If these words can become familiar, part of our vocabulary, we're going to do that here every week. We're going to slowly unpack Romans 8 together, and I want you to invite you to do that at home on your own time. And I invite you, we're going to have a discussion guide on our website, and you can do this on your own or with friends. Invite a few friends from church or even outside the church and say, hey, we're walking through this piece of scripture. Would you like to, like, I'd love to have this dialogue. And you can just go through three or four questions with a few people in our church community, in your backyard, in a park, online. These days, I think you're allowed 10 people in a home, however that works. But that'd be so awesome if we just say, imagine coming out of the end of the summer, the end of the summer, knowing so deeply, rooted in our hearts, why there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus and the full implications of that. You guys can start as we, we slowly move into this, into this moment, but I want to just remind us this. I have to remind myself, I, we, can't escape condemnation on our own. We can't. Paul asked right at the end of chapter 7, who can rescue me from this body of death? We can't escape condemnation on our own. And for some of you here today or watching online, maybe just exploring faith, exploring church community, exploring this, there's this sense in your heart possibly, and you wonder, well, how, how do I, what is this burden? What is this, this heaviness in my life, in my heart? What's this, what's this wall I feel like I keep hitting? What's this sense of, of guilt and condemnation that's there? What, what's this sense of, of, of this idea that even though I, I feel like I, I, I aim to live in such a way, there's maybe God's even getting your attention of the kind of life he longs for you, but you just, just keep hitting a wall and you're feeling the full weight of condemnation. And the invitation is, come to Jesus. Put your trust in Christ. You can't be in Christ unless you trust Christ. You can't experience God's Spirit in you unless you first invite God's Spirit to lead you. It's not just like a label you stick on your forehead or on your chest or your arm. You can't just tattoo it somewhere on your body and say, okay, I'm going to write in Christ on my arm, therefore I must be in Christ. No, it's, it's, you're, it's a choice to respond to what God has already done for you on the cross in Christ through the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus. And so you're feeling the full weight of this. My invitation to you is trust Jesus. Put your faith in Christ. Turn your life over to his leadership, over to his lordship. And trust what he's done for you to rescue you from sin. And some of us today, maybe we've been following Christ for a while. And, and you, you and I need Romans 8 this summer. Because Romans 8 will remind you of what you already have in Christ. Will remind you of who you are in Christ. Will remind you of God's spirit that dwells in you will remind you of the, the new creation God is making you into. And when you, when you hit a wall, when you hit the obstacles, when, when even like Paul says, sometimes I, I still struggle with the work of sin in our world, you know, oh, wait a second. I'm in Christ and God's Spirit lives in me and God has given me something already to empower me to move in this way, to step into the life he longs for us. So today is we're going to celebrate communion and we're going, to, we're going to be literally reminded of this as we celebrate these communion elements today. So I'm going to invite you to, to, as the team leads us in this next song, just to take these next few moments and uh, posture ourselves in a, 
and um, yeah, in a posture of, of, of welcome, a posture of reception, a posture of listening, a posture of reminder that the Holy Spirit will lead us. God, as we begin to worship, as we begin to sing the words of this, these songs, as, as we begin to just pause right now and invite you to take even further what your word is saying to us today, to, to firmly get it kind of seeded and, and rooted and planted in our hearts, Lord. We just we say welcome to the work of your spirit. We want to be present to the work of your spirit in these next few moments. And we're so grateful. We're reminded that your spirit leads us back to Jesus, your son. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this message helps guide you on your spiritual journey of discovering the life and message of Jesus. We update this podcast weekly, so why not hit subscribe and journey with us? Who are we? Westside Gathering is a local church in the West Island of Montreal. We're a simple community of faith where we want you to feel welcome, even if you're not into church or religion. We meet every Sunday, but you can also find smaller groups, environments, and resources for all ages between Sundays. Find out more at westsidegathering.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Vimeo. We'd love to hear from you. Ask a question, ask for help, or let us know how we can pray for you. If you'd like to contribute financially, just go to westsidegathering.com forward slash giving. Until next time, peace. Peace.